week of drama, tears, sunshine, rain and incredible shot making. Welcome to the first major of the year, the Australian Open. Grand Slam tennis is on the agenda. We're nearing the halfway point of our time in Melbourne and you're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. And welcome to Melbourne Park. I'm Gigi Salmon and I'm speaking to you from the balcony of the Media Centre. It is lunchtime on Saturday. It's starting to get busy and I've been ridiculed for this, but I do want to tell you that it's it's windy. <laughs> there are some trains that are going to be going past. Just people enjoying themselves on this Saturday. Lovely weather. It doesn't look as if we're going to have any rain today. But the important thing to remember is it is Saturday afternoon. So if you listen to this and wonder why are you talking about this person, they're no longer in it. That is the reason. I'm delighted to be joined by, I think I am, by two members of the ATP Tennis Radio team, Simon Cambers and Nick McCarville. Gentlemen, welcome. Good morning. Good afternoon. <laughs> it is afternoon. What day it is, is it? Yeah, exactly. Oh, we're not even going to start with times and days. I still haven't got that. Simon, what are you up to? Because you do a mix of a few things. Yeah, big mix. I started today with a stint on AO Radio down in the bunker watching... Uh, couple of women's matches and been sort of commentating on that throughout the week and obviously writing for various publications the guardian at home uh, for espn and for a few others so keeping busy and AO Radio is being rebroadcast on ATP Tennis Radio. And if people are tuning into ATP Tennis Radio and hearing that broadcast, then throughout the year via the Tennis Mash website and the live button, you can hear commentary of the Masters events, the 500 finals, the Next Gen finals, the World 2 finals that seem so far away, but they're going to come around really quickly. And part of our team for this year's World Tour finals, Nick McCarville. Yeah, it's actually my return to the finals. I was there in 2014 when I was working for USA Today. Um, but it's, it'll be a long-awaited return. I love I, it. I don't think I'm necessarily thinking quite that much about November as we sit in. I just thought it was a good the, link no, as I was you. thinking. Thanks for that. I, I appreciate <laughs> what, that. What are you, what's keeping you? I've I actually never... been uh, way less busy than Simon <laughs> Cameras, but kind of uh, happily so. Um, I joined the World Feed team here this year. I did qualies, which was really cool to kind of, it's really fun to see those qualifying players and all the work that they do and, and call some of their matches. And then two matches a day, I've done some women's stuff, some doubles. I just came off uh, the Legends doubles, the McEnroe brothers out there, and, and no shock, you guys, Johnny Mac got serious halfway through, and he and Patrick won. <laughs> Always <laughs> so much to talk about, especially at the first Grand Slam of the year, but Simon, the agenda was very much set after, especially for the first few days after Andy Murray held that press conference on the Friday, all eyes on the match, on the Melbourne arena, Andy Murray against Roberto Bautista, watching what could be his final ever match on the tennis court yeah usually just from just from a personal point of view work point of view first usually you can sort of ease your way into the Australian Open a little bit it's very busy first few days but the weekend before always busy with interviews but there's nothing dramatic and of course Andy goes and holds his press conference at 11 o'clock in the morning on my birthday I hasten to add oh happy belated to, uh, birthday thank you very much to make uh, my birthday a lot busier than I thought it was going to be but it was um, <laughs> it was an incredible few days because he he obviously came in with the thought that he was going to retire at Wimbledon even in the process of saying that, he gave another option, another possibility that he'd been talking about surgery. So then there's confusion flying around. And then we get to his match, which was just phenomenal. I mean, I sat out from 5-2 in the first set and I sat out for the rest of it. And I was writing a piece for The Guardian about the whole atmosphere and the sort of colour piece, which 
I find personally quite difficult to do. You have to do it within five or ten minutes of the match. All done, 800 words as is, and it's tough. But the match was insane. And the way Murray just sort of decided at one stage to cut loose, to say, I'm in pain, I don't care, I'm just going to throw it all out there, see what happens. It was amazing. But I did feel sort of a mixture of emotions all the way through. I was was sort of melancholic for what I'm going to miss. Uh, you know, because we Britain is never going to have another player like him, or certainly not for a generation at least. So we, you sort of understand what he's brought to British tennis and world tennis over the last decade. But then just to see him really fight back so hard against Bautista Good and play great tennis was amazing. And I was watching his sort of the backs of the heads of Judy and Jamie, and I could even sense that Jamie's face was absolutely solid with fear almost. It was, and, it was. I know, I was, I was having messages throughout the match about that, but um, the, the pride that that family and support group had for him, and I think all of us are too, it was, a, it was an emotional watch. A couple of people, Nick, wondered why it hadn't been scheduled for the Rod Laver arena, which is the centre court here, but I was speaking to his mum, Judy, and she said that Andy requested to be on what used to be the Hisense arena, it's now the Melbourne arena, because it is the, it's the people's arena. Yeah, I mean, it's an arena where if you have a grounds ticket, you can have access to it. There are some ticketed seats, and I actually thought it was the perfect stage. I don't know if that was, you know, Andy saying, I must play on this stage and then the tournament granting it, but I thought it was perfect in the way that he's been the people's champion in a way, and I think for us in the media, we have such great respect for Andy. I think for the two of you, it's maybe a little bit different just because of the British sense, but just from a a global perspective, Andy Murray is this guy that I think has really transcended in a lot of ways and and American sports fans 100% know who Andy Murray is and I just appreciated the way you know Simon talks a little bit about the fight back that he had in that match but just all of the different layers of Murray and what he's been to this sport and the way that he was on the people's court and people coming behind him and and all the love that he got from the players in the couple of days between his press conference on your birthday how dare he and then in his first round match and the outpouring of support and listen let's hope that he gets the chance to play hopefully at Wimbledon later this year but just the respect that went out to him and and the, uh, the, that on-court moment was rather awkward after the match but but if, the fact is is that he that moment was his and I think that the sport sort of owed it to him and we got to see sort of him obviously losing but in all his glory in a way but didn't it get to the point where I think by the time he had fought back from two sets love down I don't think it mattered whether he won or lost I think he had shown the Andy Murray the heart the spirit the fight back the never go up some of the shot making some of the retrieval that we've come to know and love over the years and I think when it got to that point we thought look it doesn't matter look would he even have been able to play a next round match should he have got through it was just the Andy Murray that we have known and it was such an emotional and the atmosphere Judy was asked to sign a lady's tattoo on her torso which was of Andy Murray kissing the Wimbledon trophy and she said what would you like me to sign and the woman said that's my boy and she said that's that's enough (laughs) I'm not writing that on your tattoo but it was everything and she said it was one of the best ever atmospheres absolutely incredible yeah it was it really was amazing that final set I think you're right it didn't matter that Andy lost In, in some ways it was better it worked out better it was a if that happens to be his last match if you know things turn out that way then what a way to go out because and as Nick said what he's brought to tennis it's interesting you should say that he's uh, you know people American sports fans know him here they love him because he's such a trier he lost five times in the final and you know every every big talking point in tennis over the last certainly in the second half of his career as he matured and learned about you know what what goes into all this stuff he was on the right side of it all the way through, you know, from 
talking about gender equality to equal prize money to anti-doping to all the important things that come up to the calendar Andy Murray was sort of the figurehead without being the actual leader so he he will be really sorely missed in tennis sometimes people leave tennis and you think oh it's a shame you know he's a great player but Murray was more than a great player he was a really good person very decent I always used to say to people people used to ask me what Andy Murray was like because they saw him on TV this sort of scowling guy who looked like he was totally miserable and fed up <laughs> and yet I would always say well look, he's really a really nice guy down to earth very decent well brought up courteous you know all the nice things and he he uh, he was every single one of those things we could discuss and debate what happens next the chances are though by the time people listen to this a decision would have been made the option is so well he said Simon didn't he that he's looking in the next week to possibly make that decision it's going to happen in the next week and I think it's pretty pretty confirmed that he's going to have the surgery the hip replacement hip uh, resurfacing I should say which Bob Bryan had uh, which has given Bob Bryan another lease of life Bob Bryan does play doubles he's probably only going to play for a year so it's a little bit different but Andy having said that he was probably going to quit at Wimbledon now looks like he's going to give himself the chance perhaps to play for a longer period of time but first and foremost to have a better quality of life first no pain it struck us I think Nick in that press conference on Friday when he explained to me how much pain he was in he said like I can't drop my shoelaces and then he sort of said look when I have to walk the dogs I dread it because it hurts playing football with my friends I can't it hurts and then when I was working with Judy Murray she said he didn't fly home after the match because he was in too much pain and he had to wait an extra day and she said as a mother that's really hard to hear and I think it really struck us just what he has gone through just what he's been through even to walk out onto that court against Roberto Bautista Agu. I think it humanizes him it's so hard to tell what these athletes go through and the fact that he's been so physical on the court for so long uh, because we see them train and I also think that the way that the the extension of careers of Federer of the Williams sisters of what Novak Djokovic has done Rafa and I mean Rafa's been through we've seen everything Rafa's been through but these are human beings and the pain that Andy's in I mean, I mean your heart goes out to him in the sense of you can tell he actually limps more just when we see him walking down the hall into the press room I saw him in Brisbane he was there for a couple matches and he really can't function the way that he would like to not only as a high high elite athlete but as an everyday human and that, that for him, you want his life to be right. And someone asked him, well, do you want to get healthy for your family? And he said, no, I want to get healthy for myself. I want to be able to tie my shoes, to put my socks on, to be an everyday human. And uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how he goes with the surgery because, uh, I mean, it's great to have Bob Bryan go through the similar thing directly before him. But gosh, it's a much, much bigger, different ask. And no, you know, that's not putting Bob Bryan down whatsoever, but it's a different ask for Andy to try to have that physicality on the singles court yeah I think that um, as Bob Bryan pointed out you know in, in doubles you rarely have to sprint across slide hit the ball and come back and that's going to be you know one of the many issues that Andy will come up with but you know as we said the best thing is it'll be pain-free what made me laugh I mean I almost burst out laughing at the end of his press conference this after his match when when somebody said did you were you taking painkillers today and he said uh yeah two paracetamol I was like what <laughs> two paracetamol you did that on two paracetamol surely you had a whole bottle of the stuff it was unbelievable but also you know as the story progressed and we were not sure what he was going to do we spoke to Judy on Wednesday I think and she said she felt like Andy had unfinished business there was something still there and Andy had already said I think in an interview with the BBC that he wanted to carry on it's just that the hippie has wouldn't let him so you knew that he was leaning that way and starting to go towards 
doing the surgery now instead of having a definite date at Wimbledon. Because I don't even think he needs to play at Wimbledon. I don't. I think it would almost be better if he doesn't. If he doesn't, if he just comes out and waves, because he could get a day at Wimbledon where it's 15 degrees and miserably miserable and cloudy and windy, he could draw Novak Djokovic first round. And if he'd not played for four months and not be ready to play, what kind of send-off would that be? Would it be as good as what he got here? I don't know. Do you think Bob Ryan should ask for a hip consultancy fee? Because <laughs> at his press conference after their first round win, Brother Mike, it was always going to be busy because they're, they're back together, they're the Bryan brothers, what's going to happen? It, and I was listening to it, I wasn't there, and all I could hear was British journalists asking about hips and more questions about hips, and he's happy to talk about it, Simon, but... But I, I did actually did Mike Bryan say anything in that press conference? Yeah, a few times he's explained that he was very good at stretching. I remember that. <laughs> no, you're right. But I think um, the the Bryans are, for, for me the Bryans are a phenomenal uh, partnership in tennis, not just on the court but off it. Every single one of their press conferences is interesting. They speak so well about tennis, about everything, and so I think uh, I think Bob had no problem talking about it. In fact, he enjoyed it, and he said, you know, if I'm I represent the option, this is a possibility for Andy. That's good. And they talked, didn't they, about how Andy had helped them out at a charity event when they needed somebody and he stepped in last minute and uh, what they didn't talk about was Andy's role in their song Autograph which uh, back in the days remember that Andy did a little um, uh, I, I hesitate to say the word rap but it was <laughs> considered something about go look it up because uh, Bob and Bo- Mike and Bob can sing so they're singing quite high with Autograph this as a good it's listen. quite a good song except for Andy's bit sorry Andy <laughs> I also, can we just do a, a hat tip to the Bryan brothers and the fact, I mean, you did a little bit there, Simon, but the fact that Bob's come back, they had such a good start to last year, and then Mike goes and wins two slams with Jack Sock, and Bob's sitting at home like, I got to get better, I got to get better. They're in their 40s, and the way that they've continued to be, you know, not so gr- just so great for doubles, but m- the men's tour for the ATP tour, it's, it is a phenomenon, and I actually don't think, as an American journalist, especially having worked for USA Today for a while, they don't get the amount of respect or coverage that they really should. Now, hands up, who'd like to start talking about Nick Kyrgios? Because we're in Australia, we have to talk about Nick Kyrgios. I mean, he, he did say that maybe Andy Murray would like to coach him, maybe not quite yet. Is that the dream partnership, Simon, that everyone would like to see? Well, it's often been touted, hasn't it, over the, over the last few years that Murray, because they have really good friends and Kyrgios looks up to Murray, Murray took him under his wing when he was younger, uh, that Murray would be a good coach for him. I think Murray would be a very good mentor for him. He's got a bundle of talent, no question. He's got a great game, but he needs to stay fit first. firstly. And Andy would be uh, a very good person to be able to call on. But I don't think he needs to be his actual coach. He could just be someone he talks to. I feel when we talk about Nick Kyrgios, he, he had a tough draw, Nick, against Milos Raonic, who looks in fantastic physical shape. One of the matches of the week was against Stan Wawrinka when he came through in four sets. But I feel we always say the same things about Nick Kyrgios. He's really talented if he wants it, if he can get himself physically in shape. It's the same thing we talk about time and time again. Well, it's up to him. I mean, 100%. And, you know, a little bit of it is kind of like, okay, well, it's your choice in your career because the talent is there. And I actually think it's interesting when he talks about Andy because he doesn't necessarily talk about this great tennis champion and all the wisdom that Andy has imbued. It's more about their sarcasm and video games and hanging out, which is great. You build relationships in different ways. But for for Nick, this Australian summer did not go well overall. It didn't go well in the lead-up to the Australian Open. didn't go well on court. And so I, I really do feel like he's graduated from being a next-gen player. He's graduated from being, this guy can, can be amazing. He should be amazing. And he's such a talent. And he's got to make that choice as an adult and as an athlete that you look at players like Murray in the light of all of 
all of the work that he put in to get everything out of his body and out of his talent, and that's his choice. It was interesting. I, I spoke to Kyrgios after the after Murray's press conference and stuff, and he was I was sort of walking and talking with him, and you're never sure with Nick how you know how well he's going to or how interested he's going to be in talking. But when he talked about Andy, he's very effusive, really happy to chat, and he was saying that the first time he played Andy, he was he said he was actually more scared playing Murray than he is against Nadal or or Djokovic or Federer because. You know, he knew that Murray would make him play the, the shots he didn't want to play, the worst shots. He wouldn't just try and beat him. He would try and sort of, you know, make him uncomfortable on court. And he, he found that very difficult. So he had an enormous amount of respect for Murray as a player. Absolutely no question. I agree with Nick. I think it's up to him if, he, if he's able mentally to... He, he said, what's, what bothers... What's an, a shame, I think, about it is that in his press conference at the start of this, he sounded really upbeat and in a good place. And he talked about that. And he did seem like that. And he did play all right in that match. He just wasn't quite up to the standard. And he needs to sort himself out. He needs to really work hard. And hopefully he will. And hopefully we'll see the best of him in the coming years. We're going to have a chat about Alex Bob, But first, Alexi Popperin, because the weekly ATP Tour Uncovered programme spent a day with the young Australian, together with his coach, Rohan Williams, in the off-season as they prepared for the start of 2019. For me as a tennis player, I think having a routine is very important in tournaments and in training. We started off at the gym and we warmed up for what we call eccentric training. After that, in the gym we do a couple of mobility exercises, a couple of stretches and then we go for a seven minute jog, which is like our morning routine before the day starts. For tennis players off season, I think it's the, it's the period of time where players improve the most yeah, physically. He's never refused or complained to do anything that I've asked him to do. Sometimes he's asking for even more. And then we go into physio room number seven and we start doing our eccentric training. Boys, what do we want? It's a combination of strength and injury prevention exercises, which I do every morning before I go out on court. It's not easy at all, um, yeah. It, it gets easier the, the more you do it, but you, you get stronger doing it, you get used to the exercises, but yeah, of course it's not easy. Nothing, nothing comes easy now. <laughs> I guess sometimes when you see kids that are so talented, you think that everything is coming easy from the outside, it might look like that. Yeah, 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 yes. Especially with a guy like him, big power, everything's loose and, and easy. He's working very hard, he's deserving everything that comes his way. Then I go out on court and then in the second half of the day I have more fitness. From the time that we started working, the first tournament was a semi-final in the Challenger and that was, at that time, that was his best ever result. The idea here, turn, all the way to the line. Go. Better, better. It's, it's been a big rise, maybe even a little bit faster than he expected and I expect it even, but with a game like his, he's capable of having these big wins. This is back really good now. You can land and just stick. Yeah, it's good. This stuff has improved a little bit in the last couple of weeks. Nice. Better course drink now. It's something I didn't really expect at the start of the year. Like I said, my goal was to be top 250, and then just to be top 150 really is something my whole team didn't really expect. But doing that really it was it was amazing for me and hopefully i can continue doing better things i have one racket with, with uh, the strengths are obviously his power he's got a good serve 
go full power. I don't care if it misses right now. I just want you setting up full speed at the ball. Okay? We're looking to be able to move him closer to the baseline and be moving forwards, be able to attack. Okay, so pick your target, just nothing near me, please. Yeah? Go. Make guys a little bit worried about leaving ball short and be able to apply pressure to guys. Yes, sweet, go. Good boy, well done. At the same time, he has to work a little bit more on his return of serve and being able to be competitive when he's returning as well. It's about the mentality of each shot and what you're actually trying to do. Yeah? If you try and hit this hard as a winner, it gets risky. If you try and hit this and just hit your spot and relax and hit it for what the shot is worth, then this is a high percentage play for you. For me, physically, it's very important to improve cardio and strength and mobility also. I feel like during this off-season, we've really improved on that. Ah. These tough moments, I, I love these moments. Um, I'm, I'm a guy, I'm a guy who loves to work hard. Interesting to see what comes next year. I'm just looking forward to, to seeing how that all pans out in the in Australia at the start of the year and then throughout the whole year. Alexi Proprin, 19 years of age, six foot five. He's at his current highest ranking of 147, and he's a lot of fun to watch. I thought you were going to say he's at his current highest height. <laughs> <laughs> he's only 19. He could he could keep going. Keep maybe. Going. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's. Uh, I spoke to Patrick Moratoglu earlier this week about a, a few issues, and one of which was uh, Alexi Popperin because Popperin trains at the Moratoglu Academy, and he said, when you're comparing him to Sitsipas, Stefanos Sitsipas, who's coming through very quickly. He said Popperin's rising fast, maybe doesn't have the same belief in himself as Tsitsipas has. Now, that man does not lack for belief. But, um, but Popperin just needed a big win, maybe, to convince him. And then he got it in the second round. And so maybe this is the kind of thing that will spur him on. His rise is quick. He's doing well. Um, he's got a big game as well. So there's no reason why he can't make it uh, big. Moritoglu thinks he will get there. Someone else who is Alex Boltz. He's 26 years of age, six foot. He's 155. His career high was 139 at the back end of last year. He's a little bit older, Nick. 2016, he took, what, eight, nine months off. And then when he came back in 2017, he said, I've, I've rediscovered that love of tennis. Well, and I think you look at Popperin and, and Boltz side to side, and, and a breakthrough is a breakthrough. You look at someone that might be in their teens and having the chance to sort of that first slow climb into the senior ranks and what's this like. But for Bolt, I mean, he's been around for a while, right? He's a kid that's not a kid, <laughs> actually 26. He's a man Grown up. that has, has <laughs> been working hard. And I think that's actually the beauty a little bit of the Challenger Tour and the fact that these players can sort of oscillate between 100 and 300 and, and finally have those breakthroughs. And for him, it's been this week. I mean, you look at at moments of week one, uh, the Gilles Simon-Alex Bolt match on court three, which is an awesome bowl court that we can see from our perch right here, and the fact that Bolt absolutely fought his way back, and that Aussie crowd played a huge, huge role in that match. He was down two sets to one. He wins the fourth set breaker 10-8, and, and then really the crowd helped carry him 
through that match. And there's just kind of a little bit of a magic um, spell around Melbourne Park when you've got the Aussie players. We'll talk about uh, maybe one Aussie player in particular who's captured the imagination of, of this public. But um, Bolt and that outer court win, um, that kind of felt like, uh, I think, a couple years ago when Tanasi Kokonakis beat Golbus on maybe that same court or, or show court two at the time. Um, the magic of the Australian Open for the Aussie players. Sadly for Tanasi Kokonakis, the body broke down against Tara Daniel in the first round. The Aussie, I think Nick was alluding to, could be Dumanor. He is exciting, entertaining, just he's magic to watch, but then he came up against Rafa Nadal. And what struck me in the meeting between Alex Dumanor and Rafa Nadal was the first three games took 20 minutes. It was 2-1 on serve at that point. At the end of that set, he had only won one game. For all the excellence, for all the wonder we were seeing, just the one game. It was brutal. It was absolutely brilliant to watch because, I, I mean, you know, we've watched Nadal over the years demolish opponent after opponent. But Dumanor was throwing everything at him. He was so pumped up. I really feared that he was only going to last a set. <laughs> Those first few games were so intense. And every single point he was, he was fist pumping, he was yelling. But Rafa was cool and he just knew. He had the game plan. He was pulling him everywhere. Dimonor has to be the fastest player on the tour. Mm. He's unbelievably quick. Yeah. And he slides into everything. It's sort of frightening to watch him do that. But Nadal was, was rock solid. I was really struck by how, uh, how quiet and calm his, his camp were at start. They were relaxed. And I looked at them and I thought, oh, okay. They know it. They know this is fine. And Rafa had it all under control. It got a bit tight at the end. Dominor really, really tried to get back into it. Close in that last game as Rafa served for it. But very, very impressed by Nadal. And maybe we'll come on to that later on. But I, I was... Um, Dominor will have his time. He's, he's going to be a good player. But Rafa is still right there at the top. Definitely coming on to Nadal. Just one more on Dominor. He's... How do I know this? He's 69 kilos. I think it's because someone told me that he weighs a kilo less than David Goffin, all these random <laughs> stats and facts that you have. He's slight, Nick. He doesn't have massive weapons, but he has speed. What does he need to do now to take that neck? He's lost to Denal twice against the, the same scoreline. And the thing for me, I think it was the 13th match against a top 20 player and he hasn't beaten them at all in any of those 13 attempts he's still young but what does Dimonor have to do now to take that next well I think any coach on tour would tell you he needs weapons right because Simon mentions that weapon of speed but that's just not gonna you know he he looks in a sense like a Leighton Hewitt of 2019 from 20 years ago but but that kind of tennis isn't necessarily going to survive and you mentioned that record against the top 20 but you look at his Australian summer he makes the quarters in Brisbane he wins Sydney, he wins his first title, beats Andrea Seppi in a match that you could argue that the veteran Seppi should have won. He needs those weapons. And whether or not he's going to gain a few more kilos, that's, I think that's actually going to be impactful. Can he grow into more of a man's body? Because he still plays quite a junior game out there. But in essence, he fights for everything, speed, and to me, the one outlier is spirit. I mean, the fact that he is bouncing around, and that match was huge here in Australia, but the win over Henry Laxanen in the second round, he shouldn't have won that match. On MCA, he drops the third and fourth set. He's looking down, he's looking tired. A lot of tennis in January, he digs deep, 
really kind of in the only way that he can. And so uh, develop weapons and, and what those weapons are going to be. Well, that's what he and his team have to figure out because right now he just doesn't have that finishing shot in his repertoire. Now in the ATP Tennis Radio time capsule, I think it was Naomi Cavaday's headline was Nadal does not win a match on any surface other than clay for the whole of 2019. Oh, the, look on, the look on Nick's face there. She, she just went out there. She, she took a risk. He has looked. He's now played three matches at tour level since September. Simon, he looks awesome. Yeah, I think he looks unbelievable. And it's been very interesting because I've heard from people back home watching on TV that TV commentators are saying, oh, there looks like there's something wrong with Nadal. He's not quite up to scratch. And there's some strange sort of chat going on. But uh, from what I've seen, I think he looks unbelievable. And he is really relaxed as well. You can usually tell with Nadal what kind of mood he's in you know if he's a bit tense in general about it about his body or something in press he might not be so good but he's been funny on court he's been funny in press I, I'm gonna drop a, a big sort of personal thing the other day I was walking to a radio he's very uh, proud about this I am very proud it's very I was very excited I was walking to a radio uh, stint doing commentary and I saw it was after Nadal finished his match I was going to do something else I walked saw Nadal coming in the corridor his agent Benito sort of acknowledged me and I thought that's nice hi and then uh, Nadal just hung out a hand and gave me a little slap like that. <laughs> and I, I walked away as if that sort of thing happens to me all the time. Yeah, of yeah, course it does, of course it does. That's a nice story. I but what I'm that. saying is I think, he's, I think he's relaxed. And I think it's a good sign. He's, he's, he looks fantastic to me. You've got to remember, he's had a lot of injuries here. He's had some bad luck. But he, has been in, he won 10 years ago. He's been in the final here three times in the last seven years. He loves playing here. This, these conditions in the daytime especially suit him, and I think he's going to go pretty close. Now, Nadal plays a refreshed and fit again Thomas Burdick in the next round, but it's so good to see the Czech back on tour. And Gabriel Clark from ATP Tour's Uncovered magazine show spent some time with the Czech in Monte Carlo as he was preparing to make his long-awaited comeback. A professional since 2002, Thomas Burdick has lit up the game for the past 16 years. In 2018, the former world number four faced a new challenge though. A serious back injury had meant time away from the game and forced him to consider his future. It starts quite a while ago and at the Queen's tournament, I just said, no, no, I cannot go anymore. And what a match point for Thomas Burdick, another defeat, hard fought battle, but one that eventually went the Frenchman's way. My body said, now I need rest, I need to take care of it. And, uh, you know, I did all the tests, I did all the, all the medical things that I had to do. And I was very, very lucky that I don't have to do any surgeries, which was very good for me. Basically, I start training around mid of uh, October. And since then, I'm, I'm feeling good. I can, I can load up and everything is going well. So I'm, I'm very happy with that. I'm, I'm seeing it as a, as a big challenge ahead of me because in my career, I never experienced it. So after, you know, 15, 16 season, I'm, I'm really looking forward to something new and some new situations. So exciting times coming up. When I remember my first steps uh, on the court, you know, starting to surf when the shoulder and everything was quite stiff, you know, I was, my surf was like throwing the ball by hand, you know, it was very slow. And then two weeks, then I can surf properly. And then you're like, wow, what a difference. Hard work is making that difference. 2019 will see Burdick return to action. And during the finishing touches to his recovery at home in Monte Carlo, 
No stone is being left unturned. This is a great club and I, I really I'm glad that this place is here with all the facility and everything so convenient. It has a great restaurant as well, which is also a big part of the preparation because, you know, when you take care of the food, it's uh, it's very important to eat well. So that's that's all on one place. You can do also the recovery here. I'm very glad that, you know, this club uh, 39 is here. It exists and uh, and we can actually use it because it's it's a big help for us. And yeah, it's going smooth. Nick, in many ways, Thomas Burdick, he looks like a new man. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Actually, when he came back in Doha, he makes the final in Doha to start the season. I just wasn't convinced. I was like, okay, nice effort. Good job. You made the final. But this <laughs> week, coming and breaking through, beating Kyle Edmund in straight sets, coming through Hasse, who took care, lost just seven games. And then that win over Schwartzman. I mean, Diego Schwartzman's playing good ball. We've seen that the last couple of years as the number 18 seed. But Burdick, I actually give him a fighting chance against Rafa. He's 4 and 19 overall. But last time they played here, Burdick won that in uh, straight sets. That was four years ago. There was a different version of Rafa too. But Burdick showing that you take that time away from the tour, you do the work on the body, and if you can get it right, well, he's obviously coming back with a lot of confidence. And it's really a pleasure to see because he's someone that has hung around in this generation. He hasn't necessarily had the glory that the big four have, that the big five have, in a sense. But for him to come back and to sort of make a point to get into week two, that's a big effort. You feel like it's a bonus for Burdick. He had this back injury. He's come back. He's... He's in the sort of twilight of his career and he's looking at every day, every win as a bonus. Yeah, and he's, he's wearing a whole new kit. He's a whole new Thomas. <laughs> no, I, I just, I, you know, and I think actually that time away from tour, it's got to make you more hungry and, and it's got to sort of refresh your point of view, especially for someone who, and I know this because we're the exact same age, he's 33. <laughs> um, I think maybe I was born a few minutes before Thomas Burdich, but um, no, we were born on the same day. Same day. Yes. I've told him that a couple times. He doesn't care. <laughs> but uh, just for him to come back and because he's played a lot of tennis in his career he's someone that could threaten to go deep and get back into the top 10 this Nick, year Nick that's like me every time I see the Bryan brothers I go I've got twin boys <laughs> and the first time they were like okay and now they're like okay who, is, who is that mad woman that, that's great can we not speak to her anymore I want to move on to the new breed of Americans let's call them because they're making more headlines in the Older breed is an early exit. Query, sock. But here we've got Francis Tifo still going and with that career best win over Kevin Anson earlier in the tournament. While Taylor Fritz and Riley Opelka also make good showings. And it's really nice, Simon, because we've been talking about this bunch of American youngsters coming through and now it, it feels like they really are. Yeah, I mean, it just shows you the value of having a group of players coming through at once because they are pushing each other on. I know it sounds quite trite to say that, but they're definitely feeding off each other. They do see one have a good win and they think, well, I beat him last week. I can beat that guy as well. Right, okay. Let's do it. But TFO, great. We've been talking about him since he was seemingly about five years old. <laughs> and he is, he's, he's absolutely fantastic to watch. He's been coming up with some pretty nifty celebrations, I've got to say. The last celebration. The last one. What was, was he doing punching the chair? Well, he, pun <laughs> he punched everything. His, his, his thighs, the yeah. air, his chair. He walked around well, he sort of topless. He punched his bicep in the round the before. It's, uh... it's been good. I mean, he, but he's, been, he's playing some great tennis. He's made a few adjustments to his game. He seems to be very, very confident. Um, great athlete. Really good to see him play. He's, gonna, you know, he's, he's had a, that great win against Kevin Anderson, followed it up against Andrea Seppi. And these players are starting to make, as, as Nick said, their own breakthroughs along the way. And this is a mini breakthrough for him, or a big one, actually. And from here, you know, who knows what he can do. 
I actually thought, you know, he, he takes his shirt off and he flexes his muscles, and, but then he sits down in his chair and really has an emotional moment. And I, I was a little bit worried about Francis at, at Hopman Cup, did not have a good week, was uh, completely destroyed by Federer, lost to Cam Norrie, just didn't look really like he had had maybe the confidence from the offseason that's so important, but comes through here. That was a huge win, obviously, over Kevin Anderson. He turns 21 on Sunday, so happy 21st birthday to him. But this is the expectation for him and for uh, for Taylor Fritz to really make this move inside the top 50, to really be a part of the conversation and not necessarily ask. We've been asking those questions for so long. And I think for Taylor Fritz, baby steps. He's now inside the top 50, second major in a row where he's made the third round. I think he would have learned a lot off of that loss yesterday to Roger Federer, still working a little bit with Paul Anacone and with David Nenkin. And those are the pieces of the puzzle that have to be together for these young guys to figure out. And, and as Jack, Stro Jack Sock has struggled for the Americans, a, a disappointment here for John Isner to go out to Riley Opelka, that next gen of American guys, they really are making that push right now. Now, someone whose name I don't think I've, I've said until now is Grigor Dimitrov, working with Andre Agassi, who is it? Maybe it's a good thing, Nick, for Dimitrov, because that must mean, not just because I'm not saying his name, but it feels like no one's really talking about it. And there's no pressure on Dimitrov. Yeah, I mean, and how much pressure was them at, at this point last year? There was a lot of pressure on Dimitrov coming off the ATP finals, coming off of having won in Cincinnati, biggest title of your career, had a disappointing U.S. Open in the fall of 17, wins the finals, and, and then just has a, a disaster 2018. I mean, you can't really put it in any other way. And I think Danny Valverdu trying to work with him week in and week out, but he really needed that time. And in Brisbane, he was talking a lot about being refreshed by the offseason and then he went to Vegas and spent a fair amount of time with Agassi and, and we saw that the partnership with Agassi and Djokovic didn't necessarily gel but maybe it feels like these two guys are gelling Valverde is still a part of it and for Dimitrov playing playing sort of tennis without some pressure here now he and Francis Tiafoe for both of them a big opportunity to get into the quarterfinals here at the AO. Roger Federer, Stefano Tsitsipas you choose which one you start with, but how you felt they performed. Oh, I think uh, both of them have performed very well. Federer, you know, still marvel at the way he plays at this age. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Watching him, where he's, his court positioning, where he stands on the baseline, he half volleys almost every ground stroke. It's a total joke. You should be framing those into the crowd. But he, he just continues to roll on. I don't think he's actually played his best yet. Um, hopefully he is in top form and he can do that. Stefano Tsitsipas, I think he's, he's, he's ready to break through. Again, I was talking to Moritoglu about him, and he said he's, he's ready to make second week. How, how much further, we don't know yet. Um, but this is a guy who believes he's going to be number one. And this matchup, maybe I'll be considered like a, some sort of genius by the time you listen to this, but, or maybe not. But in some ways to me, this, this feels like Sampras Federer at Wimbledon. 2001. Now that was when the change in the guard began, when Federer beat Sampras. There are a lot of similarities. I don't think Federer is going to disappear as quickly as Sampras did, although Sampras did go and win the US Open the, last, the following year and then quit. But Tsitsipas and Federer at the time, almost the same age, both had won one title. This was their first time in a, on a big stage doing this kind of thing. No fear. Federer played like a genius against uh, Sampras, beat him 7-5 in the fifth set. Sitsipas believes that he can compete. He's got Greeks, huge Greek support in Melbourne. It's going to be a fascinating match. I think, you know, with a bit of luck, they'll get to play each other a, a few more times in their careers because Sitsipas is one, for me, who's going to be right at the top in the next few years. Stefanos Sitsipas has said, Nick, that his goals for this year is a semi-final of a slam, 
to win a Masters event and to qualify for London at the end of the year. Yeah, I like those. Those are real goals for him, and those are goals that he can achieve. And, and the thing that I'm taken aback by Cesar Bass is you can't actually, well, for me, you can't actually point to one thing. It's this thing that he does. He's so athletic. He manages points really well. And actually, when you talk about Federer and the way that he plays, I don't feel like he ever has gotten enough credit for how physical he is and the way that he picks his tennis, the way that he picks a point and constructs a point. It's almost hard for us to describe. You need, you need people who really know the ins and outs of the game. And I, I was sitting with uh, Jaco Elting, the great doubles player, and he was, Nick, watch this point. Look at Federer's legs. Watch him dance. And just, which I was kind of like, yeah, Jaco, I, I know. I've watched Roger Federer play. <laughs> but just picking out why, you know, the fact that Roger's in his late 30s. And I actually think that Cisa Pass, I really like that, Simon, of the sense that Cisa Pass does all of these things really well. Raj has the serve in the forehand, which is easier to point out. But Cisa Pass backing up what he did in 2018, coming in with a lot of expectations. And it actually hasn't been an easy AO for him. He's dropped a set in every match he's played. He's beaten uh, in the first round. I called his match Berrettini and then Troitsky and then Basilishvili. And none of those sort of raise a line but they're all tough customers and they're different tough customers and he's had some issues with each match and I actually think that helps him going into the fourth round. I can't believe it's taken us this long but we, we must talk about Novak Djokovic. He was most people's favorite I think with our did either of you go for anyone else in the time capsule predictions to win this other than Djokovic? I can't remember. We've only I just mean, done them. I know, but it's very <laughs> difficult. It was very difficult to do that. This is the I'm pretty sure I picked Djokovic. Major of the year. I'm pretty sure I picked Novak. Yeah, and Nick's saying you picked Djokovic, yeah. uh, and I picked Djokovic. Djokovic so far? Yeah, it was so far so good. I mean, it's it, he's just doing what he needs to do. It hasn't peaked yet. I'm sure um, we'll be happy with that. I mean, some people were sort of pointing to the fact that he didn't win his opening tournament of the year. Whoa, what, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, losing a match he should win. But it doesn't matter. For him now, it's all about winning these, these big tournaments. He, uh, he's had a bit, uh, not an easy start. Songa is, you know, coming back. Memories of 2008 final, obviously. But he's done the job. He hasn't looked fantastic yet, but he, doesn't, he hasn't needed to. So this is, this is where he starts to go on. I know by the time you've... By the time you're listening to this, you'll have will have had the result of the Shapovalov match, but that'll be a good test because Shapovalov is another one that we all love watching. I think we're seeing more and more of these current players, next generation. We've just talked about Federer Sitsipas. Now, Nick, we've got Djokovic Shapovalov. It, it's exciting to see these matchups because we can sort of gauge where the next gen are and how they're doing, and and see that the future's bright. Well, I saw a headline this morning, I think it was 17 players, 22 and under, into this stage of the tournament, and that's the women's draw as well. But but we're seeing these storylines, we're seeing these younger players, I think, believe, and it's interesting because it's hard to describe the way that tennis has changed physically in the last 20 years, and especially for the guys, the way that you have to be so physically and mentally ready for every single five-set match. But just the little bits of experience, Tiafo. Fritz, Shapovalov, Sisapas. I was disappointed yesterday to see Hachinov go out, but you have to hats off to Batista Gut, who's really uh, been a, a crowd disappointer in the sense of all of his that wins. And so that's, awful, isn't I, it? I'm sorry, <laughs> Roberto, but I mean he's playing great tennis off of Doha. But but these younger guys, and, and I think the expectation for Zverev, he's feeling it again. But for these, uh, Poprin goes into that crowd too of 
every little bit of experience and for the guys that are soaking in the experience you you take a masters 1000 you take the opportunity to learn from from your losses from your experience from the from the guys that are around you that counts and Shapovalov had some challenges last year after a huge summer in 2017 he had some great moments last year as well but he's a guy that spent a lot of time in the offseason trying to figure out okay how do I mature my body and then also how do I mature my mind because I think the book on him now is when the a game's not going well what's my B game what's my C plus game and you have to figure that out because as Djokovic as Federer as Nadal as Vavrinka have proved over the years when your A game's not there you have to figure out how to win with your B and C game and, and that's what the best do. I want to stay with one of the young guys because 2018 was a breakthrough season for 22 year old Daniel Medvedev who won a hat trick of titles the Russian exploded out of the blocks in January to win his maiden ATP tour title in Sydney as ATP tour uncovers Gabriel Clark reports. Of course, I think the first title changes anybody. It meant a lot and uh, especially talking about the uh, temper and getting crazy in the final, I was uh, two breaks up, 4-0, 5-3 uh, my serve, uh, Deminar Alex coming back like always, 5-0 uh, Lafori on his serve, it becomes deuce and I mean probably two years ago I would just say, no, I, I don't want this anymore and uh, I would lose 7-5 but I managed to win it, my first title. The right-hander continued the hard work, claiming his second title during the US Open series. Winston Salling was a really big boost in my career this season because it made me go up the rankings straight into almost top 30. And in Winston Salling, I don't really know how I found this way to to manage the match better and uh, to win easier, and that's what helped me a lot. Then came another breakthrough at the Rakuten Japan Open Tennis Championships in Tokyo. This one is amazing, uh, coming from Qualis, second time of the year, but ATP 500 is definitely a uh, different thing. Daniel does it in Tokyo. Medvedev wins his biggest title of his career, becomes the first qualifier ever to win in the city. Just really happy about myself and I hope to continue improving this way. On and off course, it's been an incredible year for the man from Moscow. I made a proposal to my girlfriend just before the US series. Finally, it is at this moment the best uh, end of the season of my life, the best part of the season, so probably I did a good thing. I mean, if it happens like this, it, you you propose to your girlfriend and uh, you win two titles, one ATP 500, you become a top 20. It means that something, somebody is showing you that you do, you do what you need to do. Daniel Medvedev, I think you touched on it with the Americans. It's good to see a group of them. I think he has really benefited from Karen Hashinov being out there and Andre Rublev, who I know was sidelined with that stress fracture to his low back last year. But the three of them are close. They travel together and they support each other. They do. And they're, they're having fun together because I, I spoke to Medvedev before the start of the tournament and he said that he and uh, Hashinov had a, had a sort of almost a bet between them. They decided to have a, a, a discussion as to who would finish higher in the rankings and he, he said he said for for ages I was I was ahead I was ahead all the time and then Karen went and won Paris and I was like oh god <laughs> I can't believe it but now, they now are I pushing said each other on. Hashanoff you said Hashanoff which brings oh, me wonderfully on to the piece <laughs> that you have written to try and get everybody saying the same thing I think it's probably going to get everyone hating me for, <laughs> for writing it but yeah I mean it's supposed to be Karen Hashanoff with the emphasis on the Shah bit but it's a, it's been a fun piece to write because um there are, you know, we have a lot of players from all over the world. Names are, pr are pronounced differently depending on what country Give you're from. Give us another from. example. Well, Alex Dominor 
if you listen to the Australian commenters, they're, they're saying Demina, Dominua. He's he's had Dominua. He's had Dominor. Um, and he said, I'm, th- I'm thinking of changing my name to Demon just so everyone gets it right. But he, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I mean, there are, there are Shapovalov. countless Shapovalov. And when he oh, came along, many varieties of when that he came part. along, I think he said, you just split it into Chapeau, Valoff. And that's it. It's as easy as that. It sounds easy, doesn't now, it? Someone's name who I think we do get is Kanish Curry. We all know how to say it. We got it. I, if I could pick someone else to win the title, <laughs> I think I'd go with him purely because... The first two rounds have been insane. <laughs> Down two sets to a Polish qualifier. He pretty much only won that because the qualifier's body seized up with cramps to the point when it was so difficult to watch, but he hung on in there till he was three love down in the fifth. And then he goes two sets up on Ivo Karlovic, and that takes him to a fifth as well. I know there's always questions about the Nishikori body, but everything he's been through, Nick, maybe he'll go on and win. <laughs> I actually was kind of surprised because I was in Brisbane for the week, and he looked really good. I, confidence-wise, he looked great and calm and collected, and, and to come in here and almost be knocked out by the qualifier... Um, Madshrek? I mean, speaking of... I left how that you, for you to I just, say. Yeah. <laughs> Was that not in your piece, Simon? Camille no. <laughs> Madshrek. Let's even... Yeah, that, I mean, I butchered it times two. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> um, but then to beat Karlovich in five sets, I, I just... But he's another one. Nishikori had such a good comeback year last year. I mean, at this time last year, Nishikori was playing in the Newport Beach Challenger in the second week of the Australian Open. And, and so I think he takes a lot of confidence from last year. And Kay stated in Brisbane, without, without blinking, I want to be back inside the top five. And he has that belief in himself. And, and I think if he can build off of, you know, you ask for a couple of scratchy matches in the first week, and if he can build off of that, physically I think he feels pretty well. But there's a lot of belief there still. And you look at someone, we talk about Raonic and Burdich and having sort of these second, third, fourth lives. He's another guy that's still hanging around, okay? I just have one quick word about Karlovic in his press conference afterwards, because he's, what, 39 now? Somebody said, how much longer do you think you can play? And he said, well, you know, the courts are quite fast here. The balls are okay. He said, I think I could play for another seven or eight, nine years. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? That would be incredible. I'm going to miss out someone because it's a very big draw, but one final person I do want to specifically talk about, if there's someone I've missed that you want to talk about, bring them up, is Sasha Zverev because people are also tipping him. Last year was the breakthrough in terms of getting to the second week of a a slam. Some people say, well, okay, so the next step is, is winning the Grand Slam. You, The look on your face, Simon, tells me you don't think you're totally convinced it's going to be right now? I don't think it'll be right now. He, he looks tense to me, really nervous. He's he, in, Against Jeremy Shardy in the second round, he was passive. You know, it's, it's something we used to criticise Andy Murray for, a lot of people did. But he, he is allowing his opponents to play. He let Shardy back into that match. He let Shardy attack. Shardy played great. It was a really good match. Really good fun to watch. And Sverev did well to win in the end. But I don't think he should have got himself in that situation. And I think it's due to tension of not yet trusting himself in these five-set Grand Slam battles. And, and knowing that he should be competing at the back end of it. But he hasn't got anywhere near it yet. It's, there's a lot going on inside his head, I think. And he, he'll, he'll just... It'll, it'll come, I think. But... I think for now, it's, it's a little bit too early still. I still expect somebody to get the better of him along the way. It's interesting. I watched uh, one of his practices with Andre Rublev before the tournament started and Boris Becker was, was there watching and the team was all around him, etc. Et Even Lendl at the back of the court with his dad. And the one thing you notice about Zverev, and sometimes people talk about the, the concentration and the discipline, is that Andre Rublev was, was so focused. He apologised if he missed a ball. He, I mean, he just had a look of, there we go. Sasha Zverev was very relaxed. He was joking. He was sort of hitting balls 
balls out of the court to, to Jez Green on the side and, and being very, very relaxed. And I guess it's either being able to keep that and translate it to the court where he has looked a little bit tense, or some people say he needs to be maybe, I don't know, a little bit more focused. Well, I think it's interesting because we, all, we actually play on tour two different sports. You play three-set tennis and you play five-set tennis, and he has mastered three-set tennis. He wins the ATP finals. We know that he is every Masters 1000 that he plays. He has to be one of your three favorites to go in and win the title, no matter what the surface is. But for him, it is a whole different ball game, and that's what sort of reminds me of how insane this last generation has been, that those guys... Uh, have figured out they figured out the three set game and then they figured out the five set game and he really is still managing that I think that's why Yvonne Lendl has been so good for him to, to be that sort of wise voice in his ear but I, I I still hesitate a little bit to say that he's ready to make that breakthrough I think he's got to prove it to himself more than anyone else to, to make that happen I think it's very interesting, something that Medvedev said when I asked him about five sets, three sets, and I was talking about the possibility of things changing, and he actually said, well, I'm young, and I really couldn't, I don't care if it goes three sets, that's fine by me. But he said, when you play five sets, when you first start out in slams in your early days, he said, it's really weird because you, you think you have to compete for every point. You should be out there trying to win every single point. He said, it's, that is not the way to do it. He's finding that you've got to manage your your fitness, your form, your confidence all the way through the match. And I think that, as Nick said, is that's what the big guns have done so well over the years. They know how to win those matches. And when we talk about their experience in Grand Slams, that's one of the things that doesn't get talked about enough. You know, yes, Nadal looks like he fights for every single point, but others go up and down, leave, come back in, and, you know, they have their streaks and they get it done. I just want to mention as we talk about that part of the draw, and, and again, you guys will know what has happened, and, and I could sound like an idiot right now, but Chorich hasn't dropped a set. Chorich is coming off an insane year. He is the top seed in that part of the draw. That's where we lost Dominic Team, and that's the part of the draw where you have Sasha Zverev. So, should Borna continue to do Borna things and play straightforward, baseline, aggressive, go after the ball tennis? He looks so fit. He looks more fit than he did at the end of last year, which is hard to imagine, but Borna, Borna, basically. Just the mention of him and the fact that he could go, could even get to the semifinals here. Your match and or your person player of the week so far? Uh, from an American perspective, Francis Tiafo, and, and I, I actually got to watch most of that fifth set with Kevin Anderson, or excuse me, fourth set, and the way that he managed the moment, because Francis has a little bit of a reputation for losing close matches, and that was a close match against a top five player at a Grand Slam who has a monster serve, and I think Anderson tightened up a little, a little bit, but for him to win that and then to back up Francis on, I, I watched most of the end of that match against Seppi, um, I, I really think, you know, we, we don't really have breakthrough moments anymore in tennis as far as they've won this match and now they're a top five player. But for Francis this week, and again, happy birthday, happy 21st birthday to Francis. This week, these few days have been his breakthrough for me. And now I really expect big things for him in 2019. It's hard for me to go past the Murray-Bautista. If we let match. you have Murray-Bautista as your emotional choice. Yeah. Because I think for me also that if you would go with that. Yeah, well, that's, it's hard to sort of forget about that. But just, just because of what you go through when you're watching it. I mean, I would say I've really enjoyed watching Sitsipas this week. And it, that match, the first round match with Berrettini was really tough. 
But what was great about it was the fans in the corner, you know, the Greeks getting behind Tsitsipas. I think after his last round win, he was going to be, a dish was going to be named after him. So he's becoming a bit of a cult hero, certainly in Melbourne. Um, and I've really liked the way he deals with his matches when he's under attack, when he's under pressure, is when he tends to play his best. He's a fighter, uh, which bodes really well for the future. But um, in terms of most impressive for me, Nadal, in, in the way he dealt with Dominor, who would have given a lot of people a lot of trouble, and Nadal just stamped. It's like he sort of knocked him over and then stamped on his throat. It's like you are not gonna, in a nice way, in a nice tennis way. <laughs> Is there a nice you are way not. Of doing or just that? put just put his foot on there and just said, look, you know, you're a great player. Good luck for the future, but you're you're not yet the man. I'm still the man. I think I think maybe for me it might be Roberto Bautista Agut. I mean, everything he came through in that match against Murray, he he was the villain. No one apart from his box wanted him to come through, and he didn't really celebrate. Then the next round, it's John Millman. Again, no one wants him to win because he's playing an Aussie. The celebration from Bautista Agut, who's such a quiet, mild-mannered fella, he was roaring and fist-bumping in China. You could feel everything coming out from the, the Murray match. And then to back it up once again and to meet Karen Hashanov, who's the 10th seed, Bautista Agut, the 22nd seed. You just think, if anyone deserves to be going through, it's you. I mean, he's everything. He's, he's a very quiet guy, isn't he, Nick? But to come through that, all the emotions, I just, I'm pretty happy. Yeah, I mean, it's his ninth title in his career. He's won five now in the last couple of years. And he's 30 years old, and he's someone that, you know, you look at David Ferrer in the twilight of his career. Batista Agut feels like he's gaining steam right now, so it's a good effort. Nick, Simon, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've probably got sore bums now because we've been sat on these stalls <laughs> for a while. But thank you very much for being in. You can see that article about, is it on the AO website it will well by the time you it will definitely be about pronunciations of players names the action continues you can listen to an atp tennis radio which is rebroadcasting ao radio so you'll hear simon cambers so simon cambers nick mccarver thank you so much don't forget you can now get this podcast on spotify together with all the usual places and if you'd like to leave us a review on itunes if it's a nice one that'd be lovely um i'll be back next week looking back on the first grand slam of the year but until then take care enjoy the tennis bye for now 